0: Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast where I try to come up with a different introduction every week. I'm your host, Benny, and this week, me and fellow co-hosts Mayank and Nish speak with former Indian cricketer, Murli Karthik, a left-arm spinner and capable batsman who played 46 games for India. Karthik is currently a television commentator and presenter. We speak with him about all things spin, match preparation, television commentary, dealing with adversity and even the ubiquitous spirit of cricket. Murli Karthik, welcome to The Last
1: Wicket. Thanks a lot, Benny. Cheers. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's, it's such a pleasure for us uh, to speak to you, um, mainly because, and I hope I'm not revealing my age too much, but you're someone, <laughs> you know, when, when I say, oh, we have grown up watching this cricketer, in your case, I think... To a point, we are, we progressed beyond that stage. We grew up watching you, but also it's not too long ago <laughs> you were playing in uh, Indian colors. Uh, so it it is really a privilege for us uh, to talk to you and pick your brain because there's so much to talk about. Obviously, you know, even though there is a pandemic raging on, there has been cricket happening in the last several months. You know, both international and domestic. Uh, so we really want to pick your b- brain on it. And you know one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think Murali Karthik is obviously the Mumbai 2004 test. Um, and I'll admit I'm very partial to cricketers who are either playing for Tamil Nadu or who are from the region. So it always fills me with pride when, you know, someone does really well in the international circuit. So obviously 2004 Mumbai, you picked up match figures of seven for 74. 74 uh, spinners picked up 29 of the 40 wickets that fell, but of course, Ricky Ponding was not very happy about the pitch. And, you know, when I was thinking back to that, it's very similar to what is, you know, what has happened recently, you know, in the England series, the recent England series too, uh, when the opposition struggles in spin friendly pitches in India, there's a lot of talk about the pitch and if it's fair or unfair, um. I just want to start off, but just by asking you, as a former spinner yourself, what are your thoughts on you know India preparing spin-friendly pitches at home? Is that something that we should be more neutral towards, or should we just prepare to our strengths?
1: Look, I I am very neutral to my thought process on that. Um, as a as a former spinner, as a former cricketer, um, I've got no issues with what teams want to do, which suit them. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, as a spinner, I always like green wickets and pitches which flew so that I could be standing at slips and taking those catches. And I didn't have to bowl a single ball. Um, so I was very happy doing that personally. But again, uh, when you're talking talking about teams and talking about what teams want to do, I think it each to his own, to be very honest. In life, we are OK with each to his own. Uh, we don't have a problem when people lead the lives the way they want to lead so that we don't uh, get too intrusive and uh, uh, pokey about it. I suppose when it comes to teams preparing and thinking about themselves and what their strengths are and how they want to play, I think it should be the same as well. Uh, not to say that do you want to see two-day games, three-day games, four-day games, five-day games? I suppose you want to see good games and and right. that's why I've got no issues with whether low scores or high scores as long as the game's interesting, as long as the contest is somewhat even between bat and ball. I'm talking about right. one-day cricket. But when it comes to test cricket, See, test cricket is called test cricket not for a certain reason. It tests you mentally, it tests you, it tests your skill, it tests your temperament, it it tests your malleability, your ductility towards how you are to whatever the situation throws at you. And and test cricket tests your all-round skills, which means batting against seam bowling, batting against fast bowling, batting against slow bowling, batting when you when the chips are down, batting when you have to be aggressive, batting when the pitch is spinning, batting when the pitch is uh, somewhat up or down, and when there is sideways movement. That is why it's called test cricket. And it's, it's a huge marathon, which is not one on the first day, which is not one in the first five minutes. Yes, you can set the tempo, but you still have to, to grit it out and you have to win those big moments. And that's for that's why it's called test cricket. So, I have got no issues if teams want to play that way. But would you, if you ask me personally, is that the way to go about it? Possibly it takes away lots of aspects of a game per se. Uh, there, are, there are reasons why a spinner bowls a certain way on the first day. There's, there's a reason why a seamer bowls a certain way on the first day. There's a reason why a batsman or the openers play a certain way on the first day. And come day two, day three, day four, the roles change. So it's like a proper movie where the roles keep changing you're right. not just the hero on day one you're not the only hero there are lots of heroes there are lots of supporting cast and that's why test cricket is always the pinnacle of it it's that's right. that's why it's so good on day one i might be a defensive bowler but say day 3 day 4 i'm the one who who the captain is looking at or i could be with my supreme skill if i have one i could be the match winner even on day one or the the wicket-taker on day one. Similarly, you compare first-inning batting averages of batsmen, second-inning batting averages of batsmen. When are they good? Are they good when they are playing spin? Are they good when they are batting against spin on a deteriorating track? Are they good with uh, tail-enders? Are they good up front? So, these are great aspects of a test match. So, just to be a spin-friendly, Personally, if you ask me, I don't like it, but I do understand why. People. But
0: also, you know, and I've thought about this recently too, when players succeed on these kind of pitches, as hard as they may be, and it's very similar to, let's say, India touring England or New Zealand and playing on like theme-friendly pitches. And when the batsmen perform well, and, you know, same thing, if England bats English batsmen perform well on these kind of pitches, that only enhances their reputation. And essentially, like what you were saying, it's another test of their skill It's to see, okay, you can play well on flat pitches, but now you're doing even better or you're, you're able to handle yourself well on such tricky pitches. So I, I don't understand why there's always uh, a heavy emphasis on, oh, this is too spin friendly and this is not a very exactly. good pitch.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when we have to play on uh, turning tracks, when we have to play, say, well, as you said, seaming tracks, um, that's a skill. It's a right. skill. So it's playing spin on a flat track and playing spin on a spinning track. And that two different types of spinning tracks, slow spinners, those fast turners. Sometimes there are some raging turners. So mm-hmm. that's again a skill. So we don't complain. Again, look, cricket, you cannot complain. If you moan and complain, then th- that's not the place. You can't right. just be saying, I only do well in certain circumstances. And that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. If that's what you want to be, whether as a team or whether as an individual, that's fine. Then yeah. you're basically horses for courses. If it's right. a flat wicket, I'll bat. If it's everything is in my comfort zone, I'll play the game. Right. Then, then obviously, you are limiting yourself. You're absolutely limiting yourself.
0: And that's really what distinguishes the best players from the rest. 100 right? like, If you complain, if you
1: complain, there's no place for yeah.
0: it. Yeah. No excuses. And whatever the situation is, they'll go and perform. So... Uh, I I just think sometimes that we are, (laughs) we always tend to focus on the adverse situation and try to make a big deal out of it and not really adapt to it. So, uh, but, you know, that also reminds me um, because recently we had, uh, you know, former cricketer Arun Lal on our podcast who, you know, we were talking to him about, about the quality of spinners that are coming up the ranks in domestic cricket. And, uh, you played during an era where we were spoiled for riches. You know, we obviously had the great Anul Kumble and Harbajan Singh. And, you know, for most of your, at least international career, you were like third uh, in, in that picking order. Uh, I'm just uh, curious about your take on the current crop, because, you know, there's, there's this feeling that we don't really have a high quality uh, of spinners coming up in domestic cricket uh, right now, and as someone who follows domestic cricket closely, uh, what is your take on that? Or and do you see any young players who 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 have it to make it to the you know top level?
1: Uh, there are a few issues regarding this, Benny. And this is something which I've said: the quality or the skill-wise, you're talking about. You we see spin in a certain way. We, a spinner, as I was told when I first learned from Vishan Bedi, was a man who spins the ball. That's the first thing. A fast bowler has to be fast. Just because he runs in 20 paces, that doesn't make him fast. It has to be fast through the air. So similarly, as a spinner, you need to be able to spin the ball. That's your first quality. If you're a lawyer, you need to be able to know the law. Or a doctor, you need to know your medicine. So similarly, as a spinner, you need to be able to spin the ball. Everyone else is just a slow bowler. If you don't spin the ball, you're just a slow bowler who comes in from five, six paces. So if you look at the quality of spin as we have seen spin, and I'm not talking about one-day cricket, leave white ball cricket alone. I'm just talking days cricket, three-day, four-day, five-day. The art of spin bowling is about pricing out wickets, either when the batsman's defending, which means you've got people close in and you've got the quality and skill to get him close to the wicket, or if things aren't working to your favour, which means if the wicket's very flat or wicket's very slow, you've got different skills to price him out. The word here is price him out. Whether Mm -hmm. you set traps, whether you play mind games, whatever skill, which is through the quality of your bowling, uh, deception, guile, whatever names you want to give, theater, which is all part of spin bowling, it's very, very important. For that, if you look at skill over the years, it's only been going downhill. You look at the quality of spinners India had, every state had many spinners who were vying for a place in the team, who couldn't get into a Ranji Trophy team. Then came a stage, there were wonderful spinners or a couple of good spinners, every state side, or a few few spinners, every state side. Again, I'm talking about the notion or the idea of spin bowling as we have all seen, at the purest way, the old-fashioned spin, drift, drop, guile, all those. Now, if you look at it with the advent of one-day cricket, what is required and what happens is that from a very very young age a spinner only wants to play those formats we were just lucky i was just lucky because i was brought up under bishan bedi who forced me to bowl in an attacking way even in a one-day situation we i still had to have a silly point and a, a slip at all times i still had to have my people close in somewhere i can't throw people back nowadays and also we had captains who were of an attacking mindset because the cricket was played in a certain way. Right. So that's how it was. But things have changed. And with that, so has the quality dropped drastically. So if you ask me, do we have the kind of spinners which we had? As I said, it's only been going down. And I've always said this, that many of the former spinners looking at us when we were playing would have been turning in their graveyards what are these bowlers? Horrible bowlers. <laughs> so look at what's happened down the period of time. So it's it's not good to compare eras, but if you just ask me practically just the quality of spin, just the way I see spin, possibly we don't have the spinners, except for a few handful. I don't see too many. Yes, there are a few who've got the ingredients, have got the raw material to become good spinners. I'm talking about purely red ball cricket. I'm not talking white ball cricket here at all. But for that, What they need to do is only play four-day, five-day cricket when they are young till a certain stage where you've developed your skill. And I've always said this, you can learn to bowl the old-fashioned way and then you can adapt to one-day cricket or T20 cricket. But by playing T20 cricket and one-day cricket, your mindset is that. You don't move to red ball cricket and hope and pray that you're going to price out wickets. You might bowl. You might bowl economically. You might do a great job for your captain. You might bowl with long-on, long-off, deep point, deep mid-wicket. That might be fine. But to bowl with mid-on, mid-off, up, to have fielders close by, that requires skill. That requires consistency. That requires hours of practice to hone those skills. And then you test yourself out. I think that is not there.
0: Well, if I'm understanding it correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying that spinners these days don't put as much thought into their bowling. As no, you're
1: a byproduct of your times. You're a, you are right. you are brought up. If you only are exposed to McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're not going to enjoy a good thair Sadam in your life.
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with McDonald's and KFC either.
1: <laughs> Once in a while is fine. But do yeah. you want to have McDonald's all three times? Is that what Sometimes. you want?
0: <laughs> Sometimes.
1: If that's but fine, I, then I can't. I get, <laughs>
0: uh, no, I get your point. I get your point, absolutely. But uh, because when you were saying, you know, For example, when I think of someone who really thinks about their art, Ravi Ashwin comes to mind, you know, and, you know, That's why I said only
1: a handful. That's why I said only a handful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing, right? That's what separates really great players uh, from the rest is it's not just about just running up, just delivering the ball and just hoping you get a wicket or, you know, just like surface level. He really puts a lot of thought and sometimes I hear that criticism. He overthinks and I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Sometimes you do need to study. If you want to get to the next level, you need to really put some effort. And and, and you also mentioned Vishen Singh Beatty's impact on your career. So I'm wondering, is there also something to do with the coaching spinners get?
1: Because 100%, it, 100%. As I said, coaching, the captaincy. If you've got a captain who thinks attacking, who thinks that way, then you have the license and the freedom to bowl that way. If your captain right. says, no, you have to only think like this because... I am thinking like this, then you're doomed. I can be thinking attacking. For a Shane Vaughn to succeed, you had a Mark Taylor. Right. You allowed him to bowl that way. Imagine if Mark Taylor was also defensive. And if every time Shane Vaughn dragged one shot and he said, oh, I need a deep point. Every time he, somebody ran down and hit him over long on, or mid-off, or mid-off, he said, no, I want long on, long off. Then as a bowler, you're, you're finished. Right. You need not only coaching. It, it doesn't stop at coaching alone. I could have learned that way. I might think I'm the attacking most attacking spinner on the planet but if if I'm not allowed to bowl that way then I'm bowling in a very different way I might be di- driving a Bugatti Veyron but if I'm told that the speed limit is only 20 I have to drive at 20 it's as simple as that
2: <laughs> Karthik sir I have a you know this is I think probably a good segue when you talk about learning and coaching right like at the at the grassroots level like these kids and um, that are growing up today they watch you know t20 cricket and how lucrative it is right so wouldn't that be should or when i say wouldn't shouldn't that be the real root cause here where we have to like you know uh create a sense of security for these youngsters up and coming that you know it's okay that you can you know you can also flight the ball you don't have to always rush it you know for example i'm just giving an example here right and then uh you know people want like you know a quick way to success and t20 is like the shortest path right now right because there's plenty of opportunities out there across franchises i'm not even talking about international cricket right so maybe we can kind of like tilt the balance and say that okay you know financially or some other like you know some sort of like form of security for these youngsters because they're like a, there's like hundreds of positions open but there's only a finite number of people who can you know go to that level right maybe that would be a good approach what do you think about that
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it starts at a very young level. I always feel, look, you have to earmark people. Obviously, everybody has got a different skill set. Every spinner has a different skill set. So when they are young, when you see somebody who is or who can be a top draw, four-day, five-day bowler, who, who, who has got that potential, you earmark such people. You help them in the way they should be held. And absolutely, I think, see, the most important thing right now Why are people drifting towards 2020? It's because of the money, isn't it? Why does everybody want to play T20 cricket? Why does everybody want to play franchise cricket? It's not because it's the highest form of cricket. It's because it's the most lucrative form of cricket right now. And you want to start making sure that you start making money from the time you're 18, 19. You're not thinking of making money when you're 28, 30. Everybody wants to make money from 19, 20 and make the, the bigger bucks. So that's why everyone is going to drift towards that why do people why did people start playing video games and not go out and spend 2 hours playing with their friends because that was the easiest thing to do right, right now as you said you get paid more for playing t20 cricket than what you are for playing your first class or anything else where it's a hard grind it's a it's a it's a 6 month long hard grind of playing a season whereas you make more money in 40 days cricket which can suffice for possibly 10 years for you, if you just look at it. And, and what first-class cricketers make is, is, is a pittance compared to what, what the others make. So there's a huge uh, gap there. So obviously, kids are going to drift towards what is the easiest option. And that's why I keep using the word, when we are in your comfort zone, you always want to be in your comfort zone. And over here, everybody is thinking, why should I play test cricket or why do I need to develop those skills when I can make do with this and possibly make more money and be known more than anyone else. Somebody playing two uh, T20s is more known than a Test match player. (laughs) I would rather say my following is 1.5 million on Instagram, so many million on Twitter, so many things. Rather, why should I do the hard grind of playing the longer format? It's as simple as that, isn't it? You're always going to take the easier option, the softer option, and it doesn't stop at one place. It, it has to be taken care at many, many places.
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Another um, outlandish idea that just came to me, possibly you know having like a franchise test team right like a franchise test competition. maybe in you know 20, 30 years down the, down the road we'll see that but yeah so they're trying to are-
1: make it they're trying, trying to make it interesting by having this world test champion, isn't yeah. it? they're, it's they're trying to make it interesting by getting numbers behind a test match t-shirt. And I'm am a purist. I have played county cricket with numbers behind me. I can imagine because the kind of people who came there were lots of elderly people who are looking for numbers who can't see who the players are. They use their binoculars and stuff. But it still hasn't grown on me. Just yeah. even as a commentator, it still hasn't grown on me. I understand it's all modernization, but it, it still hasn't grown on me that you can have test match. I don't even like the... Coloured piping on players' T-shirts. I'm so old-fashioned. I like simple, plain white, your national colours with your national crest or whatever. So you're talking about somebody who's very outdated and obsolete. Uh, Go ahead, Mike.
3: So, uh, Karthik, sir, I I know you played for Middlesex back in uh, 2007-2009. And one of those years in 2008, uh, Middlesex won the T20 Cup and you yourself took um, wickets in all but one game. So obviously it was a really good run. Um, I'm, I'm curious what your role was in that Middlesex team and in general how, and you kind of touched upon it a little bit, but how the role of spinners has evolved in T20 cricket in your mind?
1: See, uh, when I first started playing T-cricket, and I've said this many a times, I actually thought that I could bowl the way I bowled in a one-day game and get away with it. So the first time I bowled that way, I was taken for, I think, 39 or 40 runs. I don't know, remember. I think it was against Surrey if I'm not mistaken. And then the next time as well, I, didn't, I went for quite a few runs. Uh, not so many, but slightly lesser. So I was thinking, I said, I can't be bowling this. And it was new to many of us. And uh, you had to change your mindset on how you think. And then you realize that you bowl, you, or you bowl staggered overs. You don't get to bowl four overs at a stretch and it is not a good idea because batsmen line you up. You you might be Shane Vaughan, you could be Nathan Lyon, Swan, whoever, the greatest spinner. But in T20 cricket, if you bowl continuously, you get lined up unless and until it's uh, a track where you're unplayable and the batsman can't put bat to ball. So I realized that you had to do things slightly differently. And the art of preempting is it's like your survival instinct it's heightened because you know that the batsman's trying to get after you so your survival instinct or the the instinct to minimize damage is heightened so you're constantly thinking ah he's going to come at me what am i supposed to do so i've always said this the art of bowling in uh, art of bowling spin in t20 cricket is to know what ball to bowl to what batsman at what time so that art is paramount if you bowl two or three dot balls you should know how to give a single because the batsman's gagging to hit you he is he's under pressure he's trying to release pressure so he's trying to do something different so similarly from that point of view if you asked about what i did at middle six as an overseas player they're supposed to be the match matchman a match winner who can bowl in the power play when the captain wants you if he needs you in the middle overs yes and that's what my role has been right through whatever number of games i played 150 odd uh, t20 games over my career it's always been start in the power play, bowl a few overs in the middle, one or two, and again, have one in the end, predominantly. Very rarely have I finished by the 15th over. So that is exactly what it was. And we had two spinners at that point of time um, for us. And we also had a good bowling unit just apart from us. We had a guy called Tyron Henderson, who was a, a, a call pack player from South Africa. I had Sean Udel uh, alongside me. So, so we had a, a varied attack. So so my role predominantly was whenever the captain wants you, you need to roll your arm over and do a good job of it. And again, spinners, from the time you asked me, the third part of it was, what do I make of spinners and how has it changed? I think the spinners are possibly the best bowlers right now. There will possibly come a time and I have have many commentators and many former batsmen uh, they also think of a time where all five bowlers can be spinners. You start the first over. anyways, the spinners start the first over. Anyway, the spinners are bowling the 18th or the 19th over. So, might as well, the game will be quickened. And you look at it. The most economical bowlers, they might not get wickets. Sometimes they always say Pacers get more wickets because in the end and also in the beginning. But you look at the most economical bowlers in T20 cricket. They are the spinners. So, from a point where you thought that they were going to be cannon fodder, and easy meat mince the batsmen are going to make minced meat of them. There's come a time right. where the spinners are having a huge say, huge say mm-hmm. in T20 cricket.
3: And and do you think it's got to do a lot with um, you know developing a quicker one or learning to do bowl, how to bowl yorkers, which I feel like in 2005 when T20 cricket was you know still in uh, still a nascent concept and wasn't as well understood that probably wasn't the skill that every spinner had. Now it feels like every spinner has a quicker one or a googly or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's why I said when I started playing, I thought I could bowl in the way I have always been bowling and I'll still get away with it. No, you have to do things differently. You need to be able to bowl, as you said, the, the Yorker at will, wide Yorker sometimes, even as a spinner. It's not just about uh, coming in and trying to spin the ball. There is a space for it. There is a place for it, but not all the time. The slower one, the wide one, a moon ball, which doesn't reach you. So many different variations. And basically not allow the batsman to know what you're trying to do. And again, you look at it. Some of the good balls in four-day cricket and one-day cricket are bad balls. Indeed, The slot, Mm. which we call the slot, is actually a good delivery. But in T20 cricket, it disappears. Whereas a wide yorker, you bowl that in a four-day, to Sewag, you bowl one wide yorker in a test match, he will slash you over point. But that same wide yorker is seen as a great delivery. A slower bouncer or a double bouncer or all those things are seen as great delivery. Sometimes the batsman, when he's trying to hit you hard and send you to the next stratosphere or uh, ionosphere, when he sees a short ball or a full toss, his eyes light up and he wants to send you out of the ground. And he ends up giving catch a deep point or deep uh, mid or wherever. So, some of the good balls in four-day cricket are bad balls in T20 cricket. And the bad balls for test match cricket and other cricket are sometimes good balls in 20. So, as a bowler, you're constantly mixing it up. You right. look at that, uh, that pitch map which we show. In test match cricket, we say, wow, what a great grouping. He's so consistent. But the same thing in T20 cricket. If somebody is consistent there, you look at his analysis, it will be close to 50 after four overs. And- <laughs> right.
0: And that reminds me, uh, you know, in the recent test series against England, I remember seeing Johnny Bairstow struggle, and then the IPL started, and then he was hitting the same deliveries for fours and sixes. So it's a lot of it is change in mindset. But also, what I've been thinking about is not a lot of great T Twenty spinners. They don't really succeed in other formats. Yeah, it's it almost feels like it's They only do well in the shortest format. You don't really see them doing well in other. What do you see as a reason for that?
1: Again, you've answered your question and I've just come out of it. The consistency. Mm. You look, all the wrist spinners are successful right now because of the varied lengths they bowl. Sometimes they don't know that that they're going to be bowling those lengths. I'm not going to give you names, but you look at so many spinners who don't know the lengths they're going to be bowling. Amit Mishra is one classic um, exception because he exactly knows what he wants to bowl. He's got all the control of a leg spinner. But you look at so many other leg spinners and all the mystery spinners, everybody said... Sunil Narayan is going to be a great bowler in test match cricket. Right. Mm-hmm. Rashid Khan, when he's going to be playing against all the top nations in test match cricket, is going to be a very different proposition to when you have to face Rashid Khan in a four-over day 4 over format where right. you're trying to get after him. So it's very, very different when you can sit on him and when you have to attack him are two different things. And that's why you look at the likes of Ashwin, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Lyon, Shane Warne, Daniel Vettori. Why were they good? They were good because of, their cons- because of mm-hmm. the fact that if they bowl 20 overs, their strength to bowl the first over is similar to the 20th over or the 34th over. And the right. skill set and also the consistency is going to be there and there and there, ball after ball, which is right. going to be missing in many other bowlers. And that's why these bowlers are always going to be more successful and more eye-catching. In Test match
3: cricket, right. So I also want to talk a little bit about uh, match preparation. So I, you know, as as fans, you're always curious what players do before the game. How do they prepare? Um, So I I almost want to ask you to take us back to your playing days. Let's say you're playing for India in an ODI or a Test match in three days. Uh, How would you spend those three days? and you know is it a bunch of conversations with the bowling coach uh, is it some video analysis it's a mix of things or and then figuring out what lens to bowl or how did it go and and I guess the last part of it will be how has that changed now in your mind
1: no it's changed a lot because when I came in we didn't have bowling coaches so we had a coach we don't we didn't have bowling coaches at all bowling coaches and fielding coaches and all those things are the latest phenomenon uh, more so with the IPL and then it's It's percolated towards other formats as well. And it's been brought about by other nations. And and personally, for me, my preparation was always very similar in the sense that when I hit the nets, it was always about practicing my basics, practicing my basics because I always went and ticked boxes. I had a few boxes to tick and I would always tick those boxes because that kept my rhythm going. And I could take that from a, a net session into a math session without a blink of an eyelid. So when I was able to do that, and this has come with a period of time because, as I said, and I keep saying, I was under people who guided me that way. I was under Bishanbedi Mananda Singh, who gave me a few things, a few pointers all the time for me to check. It's like a checklist. So that checklist was always something which I did. So the preparation was always the same. Yes, when you're bowling your single wicket or just the day before the game, you want to practice some specifics depending on the opposition you're going to be playing, the batsmen you're going to be facing, the conditions which are going to be prevalent, say from city to city, state to state, ground to ground. So there are certain things which you feel will be beneficial. And this comes again from experience. This again comes from what you've done and what has happened at that venue before. So you want to practice your specifics, which will be in accordance to your own strengths and limitations. And when it comes to formats, it's about switching that switch. Or flicking that switch actually in your head, because playing county cricket, you would be playing T20 one day and next day red ball cricket, or one day cricket the day after. So it's about flicking that switch. How well you can do it, that's up to an individual. But for me, I was just lucky enough because, and also a big part of me was always visualization. Even when I was not playing, even when I was traveling, even when I was driving a car, there were times when I would just be visualizing my own bowling, my own action, and that's actually helped me from a few. Uh, injuries as well when I've come out of injury when I had a shoulder surgery and a knee surgery and I was out for six months uh, I didn't feel as as if I was rusty as soon as I went hit the nets within the first five or six balls I never felt as if I had not bowled for. so it was visualization was a great skill and it's it's actually a skill which people don't talk about too much there are so many things which you can change in your own game if you keep visualizing it if I visualize that I'll walk like Charlie Chaplin I can walk like Charlie Chaplin if I want to walk like somebody, it's like mimicking. There are things which you practice. So similarly, visualization is a great tool for any bowler when you want to make those changes. When you're, and even to maintain what you have. So that's one of the reasons why my action, and you've heard of so many bowlers struggling with their actions during the course of their career. For me, my 26 years, I never struggled with my action. I never had any bowling yips or any bowling problems, technical problems. Yes, there are some injuries, you carry them. You bowl with them, but never a glitch when it came to my bowling action. Nobody ever said, Manibia or Bishan Paji never said that, ah, your bowling action, you're loading differently, your leg is going different, your arm is going different. There's something I missed, never ever, because I think visualization helped me in in being the way i was for a long period of time
3: right i, I think that's a great point because i was reading an article on uh, Singh uh, sir and then uh, i think they were talking about how at one point after a break he sort of lost his action and lost his rhythm a little bit um so yeah that definitely feels like a very key aspect to you know bowling spin um, but I guess one other thing I was going to ask was, for today's spinners, since they have all these video analysts and data analysts working with teams, do you, in your conversations with them, have you seen them uh, do sort of different preparations day-wise? So let's say three days before, as you said, check the boxes, do the basics. Two days before, they get data or side inside that this particular batsman doesn't play well, doesn't play the cut well, so try and bowl uh, that length to him or that line to him, something like that?
1: Look, I've not had conversations with bowlers per se, but I know for a fact that um, there are lots of uh, tools presented to them. Lots of, as you said, the, the computer analyst is always going to give you what the batsman is comfortable or not comfortable again. Um, right. In our times, it was more or, more, or not in our times, I'm sounding as if I'm outdated, historic <laughs> monster right now. But in my early part of my career, it was always my necktop which had to think and process, not the laptop. Right. So for me, that way it was. It helped me because you knew. I know for a fact if I'm bowling to you or a Benny, if I've played against him, what has he done to me before? What have I done to him? How is he going to play against? Given the scenario, given the conditions, again, batsmen also play you differently depending on the situation of the game. You also bowl differently given the situation of the game. It doesn't stay the same at all times. So all those things are for for me, or personally. It was different in the early part because I had to do it on my own. Yes, you're going to get help from the captain. Yes, you're going to get help from your keeper, who's a great feedback man, and sometimes the coach as well. But more or less, or more often than not, it's you who's processing everything. You're not reliant on too many other people. Now, yes, you've got lots of uh, easy handouts uh, to know what the other person is doing. Because there are also lots of... Uh, see, it, it, that. As a, or in the earlier part, you had a problem when there was an unknown batsman walking in or there was an unknown bowler walking in whom you had no idea about, but right now you've got information about everyone more or less. It might be limited information, but it will still be information compared to no information before. So that way they are a lot luckier. And also, yes, the more the information, the more you can process and how you want to process. It's like stats, how you want to interpret it. (laughs) Right.
0: Well, let's jump into the current phase of your career. You know, most past players I've seen um, traditionally, they transition either into coaching or commentary um, after their playing days. I'm just curious, did you consider anything else or do you you just gravitate naturally towards commentary? Because I, I, I see that you have a very natural style and it feels very genuine when you're on air and you're talking to players or you're talking to your fellow commentators. And I say that because that's not always the case with every person who's either an analyst or a commentator. So is that something that just came naturally to you or did you consider other pathways?
1: Uh, there's one more uh, area where you missed, Benny. They also get into admin sometimes. True. <laughs> <laughs> Cricket administration. Now, right. personally, I, I would say that I gravitated towards the media side of it. Because even while playing, I had dabbled with analysis, not commentary. Um, so I had been doing it as far way back as 2003. Uh, so I'd, I'd done that for different channels or different sports broadcasters. So around 2014, when I decided to call it quits, uh, there were a few opportunities coming my way. Uh, I don't know why or what it was uh, or why it came my way. But I just took it because I felt uh, more inclined towards it. Yes, I do help young cricketers. I do mentor um, people and I do help young bowlers pro bono. um, Not as a profession, but something which I like doing. But I don't consider myself a great coach. Or I don't think I'm cut out for that. But I've genuinely enjoyed talking about the game. And over there also, I feel that we have a lot to contribute. The reason being that when you're playing the game, it's the toughest thing to do. But when you're nicely dressed in an jacket and tie, the game becomes the most east as if you had never made a mistake. Because, look, from the time this game was invented, easiest catches were dropped, the toughest were taken. People have missed full tosses, but hit a great shot. People have made committed blunders, which looked childish, and done, pulled off some stunning acts, which looked unbelievable. So right. that'll be the case. That'll always happen till the time we are here till the time this game is here. So it's easy sitting up there and think, be an armchair critic as if you've never played the game. I know the feeling when, not that I've been hit by Chris Gale, but when you get hit for two sixes, when you have to bowl the third ball, or when you have dropped a catch and millions are watching, and when the straightforward chance was misfielded, which has been done even by John T. Rhodes. Forget yeah. anyone else. People have done that. So it's easy sitting up and condescending and be condescending in my life i right. have always had a massive distaste towards anybody who's condescending so as a as a broadcaster i always feel that there is a way of saying things there is a way of putting things across so and also as a person i've always been black or white and that's why i've burnt lots of bridges in my life as a person because of being very upfront and very vocal about many things um so you always want to be genuine in whatever you say or whatever you do that's always been my my stance in life, my the way I live my life, and I hope that comes across in my commentary as well because that's what you want to be. I I don't like to be condescending in nature, which I've never been, but at the same time, you still have to call a spade a bloody shovel sometimes. You can't not not say that. So, so for me, I naturally gravitated towards it. Not that I don't help people. I do write the odd article as well here and there with my uh, whatever limited thinking. But yeah, uh, broadcasting has always been something which um, was a, how would I put it, a natural suit for me.
0: Right. See, I don't think anyone will mistake you for holding your opinions to yourself. I don't think that's the reputation <laughs> you have at all. Uh, but we appreciate that as fans because sometimes, and I, why do I say sometimes, most of the time, you know, one of the favorite pastimes for us genuine armchair critics is we we would be critiquing the commentators. We'd be criti- critiquing the umpires. So one of the favorite that's things- the that we,
1: thing to do, na? Right, That's the right. thing to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when we are sitting, you know, hundreds and thousands of miles away, yes, it's easy to critique yeah. that. Uh, but, but the reason I bring that up is, you know, we expect a lot from commentators, which may be fair or unfair, you know, that's for, it gets you, you to say. But one of the things that, and I've, I've brought this up in a previous episode as well, are we as fans expecting unfairly for commentators to be more than just, you know, talking about old, the old days when I used to play, you know, those stories or talking about the city or the food, we, we want more analysis of the current game. So as a commentator, do you, what is your mindset or your approach to, do you do any kind of preparation before the game? Or do you think I want to add value to this game by talking about this?
1: Look, there are different styles of commentary for everyone. And also there are different hygienes. So only when spectators start understanding what the broadcasting side is, only then will they understand what happened. So mm-hmm. let me, okay, break it open for you. When you're hearing commentary, if there is a three-man panel, there's one who's called the lead commentator, right. What The one who says 33 for three, end of the over, 42 for no loss. Oh, that was a great shot, through covers. That is the lead caller. Right. So generally, you have leads who have either not played the game or who have played the game but can double up as a expert as well. So when you hear Mr. Gavaskar or a Shane Warne, you hear them during the replay. Now you will understand the game even better. Now, so when the action is when the action happens, when you hear Harsha Bhogle saying, "Oh, that's been cut through point," he's the lead commentator. Mm-hmm. So when the first replay comes, you will hear a Mr. Gavaskar or a Hayden or whoever talking about high elbow feet not to the ball too wide cut away whatever the reason behind what happened and then if there is another commentator and there's a second replay he will add whatever he thinks about it in the process in the meantime you also have other things like being anecdotal i don't think many people say i me myself they don't because we don't have the time for it. and also you've got chunks of half an hour or four overs depending upon the format or seven overs or whatever depending upon the format, when you're commentating. So yes, there is something which is expected of you from the broadcaster, from the uh, the producer and how they want to run it. There are also times and passages of play when it's dull and boring and there's not a lot to talk about. When right. the game is meandering, when people try and tell stories or depending on the on the time. So yes, there are certain things which are expected. But again, say if you want a lot of analysis, there are certain segments who like a lot of fun stories. Mm. They don't, they say, Oh, we know the game. You don't tell us. You don't have to teach us how to play the game. We want to hear what happened in your time or what happened yeah. then. So it's like, again, you might like Pau Bhaji, I might like Del Puri. So it's a tough act because as a commentator, right. how many people do you please? Yeah. You have got a responsibility towards your broadcaster and how the broadcaster sees the game panning out, how he sees the commentary panning out. In that, you fit in your style of commentary to the best possible use.
3: Right. And and that's a fascinating point that sort of leads me to my next question, which was about, I think Harsha Bhogale was once speaking to Jared Kimber on his podcast. And uh, it, it, he mentioned that he believes there's a potential for there to be multiple broadcasts. So I know we already have languages, um, you know, there's Hindi commentary and uh, regional as well. Uh, but he said there's a lot of, Fans who like analytics, who like numbers, who like matchup and technical information. Um, and he thinks there's a potential at some point to have two sets of commentary. One is for the general fan, one is for people who follow the game more closely, um, just because it's, you know, they might have different appetite. A general fan may not know where cover is or may, where Silly Midoff is, and it might be good to explain it to them. But for others, it may not, you know, fit the bill. So, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think there's potential for having such multiple streams?
1: How, how would you manage it? How would I, you manage I
3: think it? The, the thought behind that was it would be in options. So similar to yeah, how we okay. have right like now where you, have you can have switch a super languages. Select.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. If that's the case, then obviously yes. Because look, there are different types of commentators as well. So personally speaking, I'm not a big stats man. Because I've always felt that stats can always be tweaked to show somebody in good light. And it's like you can tweak okay. it to show somebody in bad light. I remember a test match. And uh, it was in Kanpur. Andrew Hall ground us to the most boring 100 because the pitch was absolutely dead. I I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. So you're bowling a ball, you're beaten. the man in the air, bat pad goes down. Edges go down, which means there's nothing in the surface. There's only as much I can do or Anil can do or Bhajji can do, and all three of us were playing. And I was sent to do the postman. I was asked a question, and I rattled off a long answer, long answer explaining what happened, what happened, what happened. And then in the end, I just said the pitch was lifeless, which was which it was. Because after that, when we went in, we kept smashing Nitini and Hayward and Pollock and whoever played. But what came out in the next day, as a headline, Karthik says the pitch was lifeless. <laughs> they forgot everything else I said. So similarly, stats also... When a Dinesh Karthik goes and gets 14 of 5 and gets out, and somebody who bats top of the order gets 50 of 44, his average is 50 and this guy's average is 15. So many people only see a lopsided thing. When you say 106 matches, 240 wickets, how many times do we explain that there were so many games where he didn't bowl at all? Or he hardly bowled. You only see 106, 240, do the simple match, only two wickets per game. What nonsense. Terrible bowler so i've never been a stats person the impact factor of a player is not by that sometimes in a team i'm not looking at stats to pick a team as a captain ah he's averaging 50 so he needs to get picked i am only looking at the utility of a person when you select teams you look at utility how do they fit how good are they in situations so again you have commentators who like lots of stats who are very stat based so it's it's like it's a tough one so yes i suppose there is there will come a time where uh, Nish says, I like flowery stuff. Thing, press of a button, there are flowery commentators. You say, I want stat-based. You press a button, there are stat-based commentators. Could be, never know. I mean, it does
0: take right. a lot of resources, for sure. Of course, yes. So but basically,
1: that... when you employ six commentators, <laughs> uh, you start employing 18 commentators.
0: Well, I mean, the IPL has shown, right? I, uh, probably an, even a little bit of international cricket, too, where, again, like Mayank mentioned, there are different languages. Uh, so we have different sets of commentators. This does take a little bit more, just a little bit more, if you want, because there are fans who do who do love numbers, who do love the stats side of it. So, of course, do we cater course. to them as well? Because they're not getting from you know what you are talking about. But we they do don't throw ass- in a lot
1: of stats. We do throw in a lot of stats. Right. We keep seeing every time you look at commentary. We everybody we all of all of us are constantly giving out stats, lots yeah. of stats, either as a ticker either as a lower third, sometimes a big page of it. You're constantly Mm -hmm. throwing stats. It's just that within those or within that span of time, you don't want to lose the moment. There are so many things happening. What do you stick to? It's a a tough one. It's a real tough one. It's like a proper buffet. Which one do you want to pick? You want to eat everything. You want to say everything. But how much can you fit in?
0: Yeah.
1: Do you miss a glorious cover drive of a Virat Kohli in trying to explain a, a stat? Would you rather relish that it's it's no. everything is time bound everything yeah. has got a time and space for it and right. just to fit it at the right time it's never easy all the time there's so many right. things happen- no, that's
3: that's very true that's very true and i think the the sort of the background where i was thinking this from was you know i moved to the us in the last decade and i started watching baseball and baseball is very very numbers oriented very technical and for a new person to watch that, it was unbearable. I, I couldn't really get into it unless I was at the stadium and you know enjoying the environment. So it's very true because different fans will have different perspectives. Exactly, so exactly. Um, while while having multiple streams is probably not a bad idea, it, it it definitely with the time constraint of an over, the way things happen in you know five minutes, it, it, you'll have to be very careful how you fit all that.
1: You are you are increasing production costs of broadcasters now.
2: But I I think I have a. St- you Know a point to make here. I, I think there is appetite for that because cricketers, um, I mean, fans like myself and my uncle, and, my uncle and Benny here, <laughs> what we do is we follow cricket on the TV as well as follow it on Twitter through like you know different accounts and experiences, right? And we I speak for myself here. I follow like a bunch of like, you know, accounts specifically focused on stats, right? So there's this constant mix and match. Okay. I listen to the commentary. I watch like on the TV as well as I uh, digest some information through stats. Right. So I think there's potential to be untapped.
1: But then it's, it's like you wanting to eat Chinese and mix it with Italian food as well. Because at the time of commentary, if I'm constantly, you know, I am not, Nobody is a number cruncher. Even yeah. stats people have their software which tells them and they are sitting mm-hmm. next to you. It's, you cannot remember Battle of Panipat and Battle of Plassey. It's not as simple as that. Or Revolt of 1857 or 1847, whichever year that was. There are lots more things to stats. So for that to come, you actually need a separate page. You can't mix it with commentary too much. It can't be a stat-based commentary. You're actually losing out on the flavor of a game if it's going to be stat page, yes, there's a separate page for it. As you said, if you want to follow Info, you want to follow Crickbud, you want to follow any of those tools, they don't do commentary. You can't expect that. Oh, why are you not doing commentary with all your stats? So similarly, when we are commentating, we do bring out relevant facts or facts which we think are relevant. You might not think they are relevant, but we might think that as a producer, as a director, as a player, there are, and your co-commentators, we ask for certain stats which we want when we need it otherwise, it's like, uh, so uh, Brad Kohli, when he played the last time this year, that day, it's not that kind commentary.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a tough balance of strike. It's I a tough agree. balance.
1: It's, you've got half an hour. How much do you fit in? How much do you cram? Yeah. Then it, you lose the flavor of, of commentary as well. Would you rather want to hear a Shane one talking about how he set up the batsman and what's going to happen than some fact which has happened? Because stats have happened. They're not going to happen. Stats yeah. are things which have happened. Right. And again, it's subject yeah. to you tweaking it, you reading it. It's like how you want to read your your uh, Quran and Bible and Bhagavad Gita and how, what you interpret out of it.
0: Hmm. Well, let's move on from that to one of my favorite topics that I, I, I always love to get into a debate or a discussion about. And you are one of the few ex-cricketers who has not shied away from defending the you know, the Munkad dismissal or, you know, the run out of the non-striker send. Um, And I vaguely remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, long before the Ashwin Butler incident, I think you were playing for Somerset when you did something similar and that became like a big outcry. Um, But I know that you're in favor of that dismissal and you know, my my fellow co-hosts know that whenever I hear the term spirit of cricket, I always get a little triggered, but I feel that's just a convenient excuse for any time someone is not happy with something in cricket. So I'm, I'm just, you know, why is this such a polarizing issue? It seems very cut and dry to me, but why does this seem to raise two equally extreme, but opposite passionate fans who are either for or against it?
1: Um- it was, uh, it was against Somerset. It was against against, Somerset, okay. against my old team. And I was playing for Surrey. And it became a, a big thing because it was against my former team, against a former teammate. And I'd played for that side for three years. And they were actually unhappy that I had left and gone. And uh, even when I'd gone, there was a lot of outcry that, oh, he has gone for a London club and more money and this, that, and the other, without knowing the facts. So when I came back and I did that in my very first return to the ground, And obviously, the convenience of the English to see, uh, or as you rightly said, it's I always call it a convenient bunker to hide behind when it suits Mm. them. And the people who cry it are the ones who have been the biggest defaulters in cricketing times, and you don't want to name them. All the guys who cry foul on uh, Twitter and social media have been the worst culprits of many things what they have done during their time, but everything is forgotten because... This supposed run out, it creates a lot of this thing. A, because the batsmen have always been doing it for time. Imm- under right. the pretext that we are trying to gain some momentum. I've got no problem with it. I've got no problem with that. You want to gain momentum, you can start from where the umpire is and gain momentum till the time right. you reach the, the crease. Even more so, you can have your bat outside, a bat inside, be outside. Let the bowler release and you can run like Usain Bolt or whoever, uh, Carl Lewis, I don't care. But the rules say when my release is there, when I'm about to release the ball or before the release of the ball, if you leave, it's practically cheating. It's practically stealing. Whether you steal one yard, two yards, whether you steal one rupee, two rupee, two dollars, two million dollars, stealing is stealing. Right. And that's how simple it can be. Do we accept? Do we condone stealing? No, we don't. Do we vindicate stealing? No, we don't. How is it that when it comes to a non-striker stealing yards, that's acceptable? Whereas a bowler, and that too willfully, the non-striker knows what he's doing. Whereas a bowler who's running in, yes, there have been instances where match fixing has all happened and people have bowled deliberate no balls. I'm talking about no balls. Otherwise, is a bowler trying to bowl a no ball? No, he's not trying to bowl a no ball. And they say that, no, he was trying to gain momentum. I'll ask you another thing. As a spinner, when I'm bowling a great ball and a batsman gets beaten in the air, he drags his leg, the, the uh, keeper stumps him. Does he ask him, oh, can I stump you? You're outside the crease, you have lost your balance. <laughs>
0: Give him a warning.
1: <laughs> when it's down the leg, we say, Mahendra Singh, Dhoni, 5G, 6G hands, the fastest hands. <laughs> but the poor batsman has lost his balance. He's going yeah. to fall down. We can't do that. No, How can a batsman get out? <laughs> yeah. So It's just a convenient thing. Because it's been happening for time immemorial, because the batsmen have been getting away with it. In India, oh, Lal Bhati tha, red light. Tha, there is nobody in the night. So I crossed red light. What big difference? Because yeah. the enforcement is not there. People get away with it because the enforcement is not there. Just say that the bo the batsman who transgresses or the non striker who ta- transgresses, just say every time he transgresses, just like we have free hit for a bowler, just say two runs will be deducted every time the third umpire sees. Any batsman good, yeah. leaving the crease before the bowler. Let me see how many captains allow it. How many teams allow it? It has to be a big fine because the bowlers aren't enforced. It's like you are punishing the policeman. The policeman has gone and caught the thief, and you are putting him behind bars rather than the thief.
0: Yeah, I know. So
1: every bowler is scared because the so-called nice guys and the guys who followed rules and regulations say, "Oh, how can it be?" Whereas the guy who's doing the right thing is being shot with no bullet, uh, no vest on, his, vest on him. So it just is so irritating. I would say all 11, if somebody does it, do it. Hmm. For me, the spirit of cricket was I warned him. I didn't I didn't have to warn him. And every time I've done it five times, every time I've done it, I warned the batsman before doing it. Right. And Some of them have said, oh, but I was not trying to take a single. So what were you going doing towards the batsman? Start okay. walking towards mid-on. If you're not trying to take a single, walk yeah. the other way, no? And,
0: and I think it's so unfair that after that, there's so much stigma on the bowler. For just exactly. following the rules of the game, I mean, exactly. some of the you look criticisms. At, you look of... at
1: this year's game where Mumbai yeah. Indians won.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Karan Polard was trying to yeah. do the yeah. run out himself. Was the culprit? Right. You remember one game? Uh, I think it was at Vankade when uh, the guy from Rajasthan Royals who played for Punjab, Ankit Rajput, the fast bowler. Mm. He was okay. playing under Ravichandran Ashwin, and he didn't have the guts to run the last man, out. I don't know whether it was Bumrah or someone else or whoever it was, that guy, even before Ankit Rajput had released, was halfway down the track and they ran to, or could it be Alzari Joseph as well? And mm-hmm. they just made it, made it in the nick of time. It could be that Kings 11 would have won. So how many times we see that? How many times do we see that? But it's the bowler who will be slapped and slammed and punched and knocked down for doing the right thing. Right.
0: And I think that's what infuriates me the most in all of this because first of all, why does this even have to be a debate? And then exactly. second, why does Ebola get criticized for following the rules exactly. of the game? It's you the know,
1: batsman who's cheating. Right,
0: right. And the, some of the criticisms that Ashwin received after that incident, it, it was just mind-blowing. I'm, I I just couldn't get it. I couldn't understand. 100 And I'm so glad that he didn't apologize or back down. There was someone who said, oh, he will regret that for the rest of his life. And yeah, I, so are you saying that If this rule was enforced strictly for a long time, because this is obviously not a fresh or recent phenomena, if this was enforced for the last few decades, this wouldn't be a polarizing topic.
1: Exactly. Because the bowlers have not been enforced because it's always been seen as something which is acceptable by the batsman. And once it's become acceptable by the batsman, they just say, oh, how can you? We've always done it. How dare you question us suddenly? This is what we do. This is what is our birthright. We were born with it. Even before we started playing cricket, we were told you could walk outside.
0: Uh, all right. Well, switching, uh, switching to a, a very different topic though, um, you know, growing up, you know, it was always drummed into our heads that um, depression or any kind of mental uh, anxiety or worries is just something that you just need to shake off and power through. And, Now we see a lot of athletes, especially cricketers, and even in India right now, a lot of cricketers are speaking up about the struggles, the mental struggles that they've had to deal with, you know, while coming up the ranks. And as an athlete yourself, were you ever besieged by doubt or insecurity? And, you know, what is your approach to adverse circumstances that is beyond your physical control?
1: Look, uh, the proclivity to doubts or you're always going to have. When I had my surgery, I started doubting whether I could, I'd ever run, whether I've ever thrown a ball, whether I've ever bowled a ball. Doubts are always going to come big. Doubts are always going to be there because we play such a volatile sport. Volatile, I say, because in terms of where you might, you can put in all the hard work in cricket, but if somebody doesn't like the specs you're wearing or your hairdo or the fact that your collar is up or you didn't say good morning, good night, good evening, send a thank you letter, didn't tweet, retweet somebody's message, somebody takes an aversion to you. So sport, there is so much. So there's always going to be self-doubt, whether you're good enough, whether I'll be picked, whether I'll do well. That fear of failure, I suppose, is there in every sport, not just cricket alone. But being a team sport, being in a country where there are millions wanting to play and only a few get there, obviously you're going to have doubts. When it comes to other bits, Obviously, I've never faced it, thankfully. But my view on it is, I'm glad it's acceptable now. The reason being that if it was a while ago, say, as you said, 10, 20 years ago, if somebody said that this is what I'm going through, they'll say you're weak-hearted. You don't have the gumption for a fight. You won't do all those things. I'm glad seen as something which is a lot more serious, a lot more grave. Mm -hmm. And it's given the platform and the importance which it is due again times have changed we have started accepting things which should be acceptable not seen it as something different i'm glad that the players and their families are getting the importance which they should because before it was not as if if you're a cricketer you have to go out there and just be there doesn't happen that way you're there because your family is supporting it right so the family is also important so similarly as you said mental issues you are going to have doubts but something severe Something, as you said, depression is a lot more serious. It's a lot more grave or a, or a, what should I say, a scenario where you don't know what the person is going through, how it comes. And some of the friendliest and the most lively people are actually hiding it because mm-hmm. they're going through something which is a lot more sinister and a lot more serious, which we don't know. Right. So it's, it's good that it's been given that
0: importance. Um, I, I listened to this podcast recently where, Abhinav Mukhan talked about it and he he talked about the importance of taking breaks as, as an athlete when you're going through a struggle. And he said, you know, in India, it's a, a lot more challenging because there's always that fear of, well, if I do step back, I will lose my place because there's always hey, someone. That is, that is also there. And
1: also the second thing is you're not good enough. You're weak hearted. You don't have the, the will right. to soldier on.
0: Yeah. So... I I think it's it's refreshing to see attitudes have been changing recently. I think that's a lot more due to awareness and people speaking up, because I think for a long time, there was that stigma, like you mentioned, you know, if you say that that's the label that you get, that you're not up for it. Uh, But there are lots of
1: things which are which are happening in a very positive. You look at it. mm -hmm. You're what? How old are you now?
0: I'm 34.
1: You're 34. Okay. If somebody was going through a bad marriage, did they ever have divorces then? Why? Because you were supposed to soldier on, move on, be with the same person. That was if you had a divorce, it was seen as a social stigma. Even when I got married or the times then, it was the same. Now it's it's cool. You don't have that stigma any longer. Right. Which is good. Which is good. Just because somebody's made a mistake doesn't mean that you have to, you can't correct it. So similarly, right. just because somebody was not or some issue was not given that importance, which it should have been before on a on a different, and would have been seen as in a different light. I'm glad society is changing. There are lots of things to be to be. Uh, what should I say? Appreciative of of what's happening in the modern world. Things which have changed. Lots of good things are happening. Right. It's a
2: great points there, Kartik. Um, I think um, I have another question here, kind of in the similar vein, right? Like um, once you know, before players become professional athletes, you know, there's a lot of like support structure, which kind of like you know tells them each step of the way you have to do certain things. And, you know, you reach, you become a professional cricketer or an athlete. Um, But my question pertains to what comes after, right? For example, um, you know, post-retirement come down hits athletes, you know, in different ways, right? Some shake it off and begin new ventures, but many athletes struggle with, for the lack of better term, like, you know, mundane activities of regular life and kind of like, you know, crave the high intensity of professional sport, right? And this can lead to sometimes poor... um, habits such as you know poor financial habits and you know in some cases drugs and other such you know uh, troubles right so i'm just curious like is there like an organization or a committee of players that you know where you know post-retirement regardless of how lucrative your career was that you know ex-players can tap into and kind of like share their thoughts and you know like uh, just overcome these difficulties who happen no, we yeah. don't have it we don't have it
1: in india We don't have it in India, but every other country. I know of England, which is the Professional Cricketers Association and the Australian Cricketers Association. They do a fabulous job of taking care of people as all the problems you mentioned, they're there for them. It's like a huge arm. It's seen as the 19th county uh, or the 20th county, you can say, or the 19th county, you can say, in England. Uh, It works with the ECB. It's not just for the the England players it's for every first class player who's playing every first class player who's played they help them in so many different ways depending on the needs and I, I'm, I suppose even Australia does it unfortunately we don't have it in India so uh, and also it, it's a tough place to be as you said um, I think only recently I was mentioning that as a player when all you've done through your life from the time you've, you've known life and you've known what needs to be done is that you've played the game which means that so many cricketers are not the the full biscuit in terms of education. They they've not finished. They've been dropouts. There are so many guys who are single skilled. Cricket has been their biggest skill, and that's why when you mention these are the things which cricketers do—commentary or coaching. No, they also get into administration because some of them do get into administration. It it tickles their fancy. Some of them get into coaching because that's what they've done because the other options are limited. Very few are completely educated when they say, oh, we finished this innings, we are going into something else. It doesn't happen that way. And also, what happens is that when you hit that crossroad, you always think, what am I going to do next? Sometimes there is always this criticism of players playing too long. Oh, he should have gone by now. Why is he stretching his career? Because as a player, you you don't know what's going to happen next. If somebody has something, it's still fine. But all you've done in your life is play the sport. And when suddenly... The reality hits hard that I'm 36, 37. My powers are on the vein. My cricket is not as good as it was. Or people are going to gun for me. What do I do next? That's why they go where opportunity presents itself. So it's a tough place to be, absolutely. But yes, I don't think we have anything like that. We still, You're still on your own. You're still a, a single horse. Once you a lonely horse. Once you finish
3: playing the sport. It, it reminds me of uh, Praveen Kumar, actually, the you know, the Indian pacer who almost played the 2011 World Cup. And I read an interview where after his injury and after missing the World Cup, he, he had a really tough time and coping with it and all of that. And yeah, I mean, I can, as, as you were saying with the English board, it, it feels like it's something that, you know, that'll be very useful to have hopefully in, in the near future.
0: Things are changing for the better, as, as you mentioned But there's also a lot of scope for improvement and for a lot of better initiatives to come.
1: Benny, till the time we are living, there is always scope for improvement.
0: (laughs) Well said. Well... On that note, uh, Karsik sir, thank you so much for your time. Um, This was very, very... uh, We we, we just learned a lot, a lot of insights and a lot of behind the scenes stuff, not just from your playing days, but also from commentary. And it was a pleasure talking with you. And we really hope you come back again because we would love to talk about, you know, whatever else is going on in the cricket world at that point.
1: Anytime, anytime. You just have to let me know I'm sitting at home doing nothing. So as long as I was... uh, Uh, What should I say? Informative and didn't Bo wasn't so horrific. I think I have no problem.
0: No, no, not at all. We we absolutely pleasure for us.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Cheers,
1: Mani. Cheers, Nish. Cheers, Benny.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thanks to Murli Karthik for his time and thoughts. And you can find him on Twitter at Karthik Murli. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and do leave us a voice message if you would like to be featured on the show. Thank you for listening to us, and from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.